You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 41. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Hey folks, so today we're going to be talking to Ruby Johnson. Ruby Johnson is a sex therapist. She's a sex educator. She is on the board of directors for the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. Um, in line with what we're talking about today, she also wrote the forward for Love's Not Colorblind. So today we're going to be talking about um, some of the challenges that people of color face in the poly community and in non-monogamous relationships as a whole. So we're going to touch on several issues surrounding that. We're also going to spend a little time talking about uh, differences in sexual desire and relationships and bridging the desire gap because that's one of Ruby's specialties. And we have touched on it quite a few times ourselves in the past. So thanks for joining us today and I hope you find the conversation helpful. Yeah, you have quite the quite the uh, storied bio. So, you know, it's interesting. I know uh, we'll hop in the topic we're talking about, but I, I would actually be super interested before we get off to talk about the desire discrepancy just a little bit, because that's actually a topic that we've talked quite a bit on before. And I'd be super interested to hear your uh, your input once we get, get through some of the other stuff that we're going to talk about. Yeah, I mean, say you have a couple. It's typically couple-centered and someone has a high desire for sex and someone has a low desire for sex. And it's about figuring out why that difference is there, that discrepancy. Could it be medical? Could it be painful sex? Could it be issues within a relationship? Could it be the person with high libido is pressuring the other person, which kills sex drive? And so when I have that come in, typically I look at a lot of the obligation sex. And that's a huge piece of where I find the difference in sexual desire is that obligation sex kicks people in the ass. Can I cuss? Yeah. Yeah, please. (laughs) We do it all the time. You know, that's because, you know, those sexual scripts that have women must have sex with their partner or any partner must have sex with that other partner or there is some layer of, you know, they're going to leave me, they're going to find it somewhere else, et cetera. So a lot of it is psychological that's present. And when it does have physiological, that's a lot more simple to repair, but it's the psychological and the power differential and consent, that stuff that makes a sexy health life. Well, yeah. And the thing is that to a certain extent or another, I mean, every couple and it's not just couples, you know, you're, you're talking, it goes into poly groupings as well. There, There's a desire gap there with everybody to one level or another. It's just how is this level so much that it's causing issues that are bleeding over into things? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you're speaking of that. I just had a triad that I saw today and they were coming in because the primary couple, she has a low sex drive. Hence, he started or they agreed that they will open the relationship and bring a third in. So now the third and the husband have an extremely intense sexual life, which has increased bonding, which has put some polyagony in there to where she feels, the wife feels displaced, ignored, time deficit so that's interesting yeah we um first off i have to i have to say i really like the term polyagony <laughs> that is fantastic yeah that's that's an yeah. interesting uh that, that's an interesting situation to be in you've got kind of the nre compounded by the sexual end of things that isn't going on in the the initial relationship right now 
imagine the first two intense pleasure acts that you can have. I mean, NRE is comparative to doing a line of cocaine. You know, that's how some some have described it. And an orgasm is also equivalent or a little under doing a line of cocaine. Now, this is people in the field who have said it. I didn't say this. I don't know how they can can compare it to cocaine, but hey, I'm just going with it. (laughs) I know with orgasms, they've actually done a lot of stuff around watching... fMRIs. Yes, that's what I was talking about. And it's where they actually monitor the brain during sexual activity. And during orgasms, your brain looks very, very similar to being on drugs, such as heroin or cocaine. So literally, um, when we are orgasming or getting ready to orgasm, our brain is thinking we're on drugs. Yeah. Right. And also, I mean, if you think about it, Both of them hit, I mean, all of these hit that primal area of the brain that releases a lot of the pleasure, feel good neurochemicals, you know, this kind when you eat, the kind when you hold a baby. And it's considered a bonding piece when you come to comes to sex. I'm sure you already know this, but that's what intensifies it even more. That oxytocin. Yeah, I know there's been some, and I'd have to find it. I have it somewhere. I know there's actually been some some scientific studies as well on the effects of NRE on the brain, not not in poly relationships necessarily, but just in general. You know, those beginning stages of a relationship with a new person, and what that actually does, like to your brain chemistry and the functioning of your brain. So, and the effect it has on your decision making and things along those lines. Yeah, they call it the um, pink cloud a lot. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, this is this is a topic that we could go on about for a long time. I don't want to, though, because it's, it's not why you're here. But we may have to either talk more offline about it or have you back on another time. Um, we actually have a whole podcast episode we did a little while ago on. We, we call it the desire gap. And we just put out this just put out a blog post. Actually, I want, I'll, I'll send it to you when we're done. You might find it really interesting on um, a a tool that we use in in our house and we've taken to a lot of the, like the clients we've worked with and just, you know, when we've taught on this at events and things like that in conferences and uh, that we use to help kind of tell where everybody in the house is at, like what they're looking for, what they want to do, basically what they want to do and how badly they want to do it and what they're feeling at the time. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to kind of take away some of that power indifference and some of that pressure feeling and those like having to have the conversations constantly about sex, whereas it's a tool to be able to be like, okay, so my partner's in the mood. I'm not missing this opportunity. Because I think one of the other things, especially when the desire gap is not a huge, huge destroyer of your relationship, but definitely something that you struggle with, is those missed opportunities where the partner who has higher desire doesn't want to necessarily pester or pressure the lower desire partner and when the lower desire partner actually does have that desire right because it ends up getting missed because there isn't that feeling of wanting to have that communication because it always goes badly and poorly yeah it's kind of like a conditioned response is that what you're saying or yeah i think that for a lot of us for example in our house i would say that on the like horny scale of typical day if we were doing like a 1 to 10 point scale i'm somewhere at 11 usually unless oh, i yeah. am sick like <laughs> i literally have like my the things that exclude me from wanting sex at every minute which is being sick being incredibly <laughs> sad so like someone had to die or i had one other one pain 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 that's it if i'm in an extreme amount of pain like a severe migraine or something like that those are my disqualifiers so i am pretty much you can look at me and be like you're in the mood right whereas um rigel's a little bit lower than me not not too much he's still probably a nine and our partner Amanda is like a four, right? So I'm not even um, sure. <laughs> and I'm being generous with that number. And so 
with those differences, obviously no one wants to pressure anybody. No one wants to feel like they're being rejected. Well, I was going to say, no, I was, I was talking from that perspective, but then from the other, no one wants to feel like they're being pressured. So having this tool kind of lets us know, oh, great. Amanda's in the mood today. Awesome. Without asking her every day and her feeling like we're pressuring her for sex. Yeah. And also she can indicate that she's not in the mood and not feel like, okay, I, I feel like I'm rejecting you. So it's kind of allowed us to have that communication without all the fuss. Yeah. We'll send you, we'll send it to you when we're done. I uh, have Cassie email it to you. I'd be, I'd be really curious to get your, your feedback on it from your perspective as having worked with a bunch of people who, you know, who have this, okay. these issues. It'd be super interesting. So moving on to why we actually, why you actually got on the podcast with us. I'm sorry. I'm easily sidetracked. So I will, I will try to avoid that the rest, the rest of this. uh, That's why I took my meds before I got it. Yeah. It's not always a bad thing though. It leads to interesting conversations, but it is a, you know, I guess we're going to start about people of color in the polyamorous community. Um, And I, I guess a good place to start with that is um, the forward that you wrote for Love's Not Colorblind. So if you could just, I guess, talk a little about about that, about how you wound up getting involved in that project while you felt like it was important, and we can go from there. Kevin Patterson and I probably met the end of 2015, the beginning of 2016. So when I got into the poly community and started getting involved in leadership and speaking and et cetera, I was like, where are all the black people? I mean, I'm looking around and it's pretty homogenous with a couple of sprinkles here and there. So I I went and I started talking to various people and they said, have you talked to Kevin Patterson? Have you talked to Kevin Patterson? Now I put this in the foreword as the very beginning of my meet with him or my introduction to him. But what ended up forming is a very deep friendship, sister-brother relationship. And so Kevin and I had this shared ambassador for all Black people feeling because we were the few Black people in the room and we were very loud with our advocacy and our talking about inclusivity Etc. And so in the book, Kevin talks about a lot of those stories. But how I end up getting involved is they asked me to write the foreword. They look to, I guess, other people who can relate and have a close relationship with Kevin and also have a finger on what's a thumb on what's going around in the community. Okay. So I guess for the people who haven't read the book, could you just give them like a quick idea of what kind of stuff's covered? We're going to link to it in the in the show notes, but you know, what kind of stuff is covered in there and why it's important for people to think about? A lot of the stuff that is covered is a, I guess, inside perspective of the community and its leadership as an individual. And basically it's a broad overview of those things. And he offers a suggestion. And so he offers some suggestions at the end, but primarily it's about the interplay between folks of color and the white community, those power dynamics that happen and how folks of color are forgotten because they're not as visible. Okay. Is that what you got out of it? Yeah. What are some of the struggles that you think that that people of color currently face when it comes to being in non-monogamous relationships? Like you talk, I heard you talk about the, I guess there's there's almost like three levels here listening to you talk with this, right? So there's the the level of, I guess on an individual level, on being in, you know, in relationships, looking for poly relationships, being in poly relationships. And there's the level of, kind of the community level, right, of the interaction in the community itself. And then you're talking about actually the leadership. I guess that's almost like three three areas for us to explore, if that makes sense to you. Yes, it does. You want to start. So would it be easier for you for start at the bottom, work up, or start at the top and work down? 
Well, I would like to start where my research is currently and work from that. My research is around leadership right now. I'm writing a chapter for a book. And so also it's in the community. Now, I guess we can start from those places and go to individual because they kind of all interplay around race, gender, and class. Yeah, I think... I think that's a good spot. Just if you can clarify, because I'm actually not sure, and if you can clarify for me and for our listeners. Now, when you're talking about the community, I know we're talking about poly community, but are you also talking about kink community or not? Well, there is an overlap, but that's a whole nother monster. Right, right. Okay. So just, well, yeah, I, I agree. And we're in, we belong to that overlap. But So I just want to make clear. So we're, we're talking specifically in your research specifically has to do with the poly community. Yes, it does. Okay. Awesome. Just so we kind of set the stage for that. Okay. Yeah. But now I just want to toss out there. There is a client that I see and a type of client, which are 24 seven. Right. And so having that dynamic with the social structure of, I guess, vanilla poly relationships and trying to interplay that with kink relationships it, it becomes very difficult and nuanced and we have to kind of parse it out. But that's a very interesting process that I've kind of come over the last couple of years. I love it, actually. I think you may find us to be on the same page with this. We, we actually have a very strong point of view on power exchange and polyamory and what should and should not be laid down as the part of power exchange as it relates to your other intimate relationships. We've seen that do a lot of uh, a lot of harm in certain certain cases. I think we actually talked about this not too long ago. Yeah, we did. We did an episode on how healthy power exchange and part of it was actually talking about poly and power exchange. Yeah. Yeah, um that's my favorite topic. Um <laughs> consent, coercion and negotiation. That I'm looking at a book right now. I love talking about social justice and love and how those both interplay. And I guess I'm going to come from that angle because I think it's something to help us reflect on society at large. What's going on in society is a direct replica of what's happening in a lot of our communities because the dominant culture is um, white, heterosexual, cisgender, white men. I'm just going to toss it out there. Um, nothing against anyone, but I'm tossing it out there. I'm talking about in your audience. But, and so that dominant culture has a power play on how relationships interplay. It has been that way if you think about history. And so that coming into polyamorous relationships um, has been a huge issue with that shift from monogamy to polyamory because those power dynamics want to come with it and it, do, and it clashes with some of the polyamorous concepts of relationships, hierarchies, not hierarchies, race, um, gender a lot, and class a lot. Um, it's a We are a classist community in polyamory. I mean, from what I've witnessed and what I've seen and talked to a whole lot of people across the U.S. in various geographic areas. And additionally, when it comes to gender differential, and when I talk about gender, I'm not just talking about cisgendered women or cisgendered men. I'm talking about the trans community, non-binary um, age coupled with, I mean, it's a whole lot there. And tell me when to stop and start defining things. I don't think necessarily that we need to define anything yet. I don't think you've said anything that is... is Outside our listeners. Yeah, like outside, of, outside of what they would know, because we're talking really generally. I think what I'd like to do is kind of tackle these areas that we talked about and how these things actually play out in those areas. So for example, you you would we had kind of before we where you once again started talking about uh, uh, power exchange, we're going to start talking about leadership and how these things play into leadership and how being a person of color 
you know, looks when you look at the leadership in the community. So I'd be interested, well, I think, to kind I of hop in there. Piss some people off, then, if, if we talk about that. See, you're getting into my passionate areas, <laughs> and the reason I say that we're probably I'm probably going to piss some people off is because our leadership in the polyamory community is has a whole lot of issues. I'm a member of the Polyamory Coalition and also the Polyamory Leadership Network. And a lot of the conversations that happen, are y'all a member of either one of those? Uh, I don't. I think we're I think we were involved in the Polyamory Leadership Network at one point when we were dealing with yeah, I, I, we aren't currently though. Okay. And so over the last, I guess, four years, I have been a part of it. And I'm also a part of the newly created polyamory coalition. And so within those groups, there's a very strong voice when I, I am involved. And when Kevin Patterson and another leader, Chris Smith, was involved, we were the three Black voices and like a huge Unless the other black voices were just got tired and went out, sometimes that happens because we get racial battle fatigue. And working within those that community, there was a whole lot of when we were stating the issues and the problem, there was a whole lot of stifling. And when I say stifling, it was a whole lot of shit coming out like where the number of polyamorous people in the of color in the community exactly represents that in broader society. That's a bunch of bullshit. And then we also came across folks who weren't talking about our issues. You know, some of the issues that we deal with are about families. Uh, there's a lot of families of color that are surviving, like in this community kind of like the Black Panthers had back in the day where it was very self-sustaining. And we have those type of issues that we're dealing with. And then we come into a space where there's no, we can't relate and they can't relate to us about certain issues. So I guess what I'm stating in a very broad sense, because this is like a five-hour conversation, is that the needs of the people with it and the leadership that is available, it's, it doesn't line up. We do have the Black and Poly community that is out there that is getting a whole lot more power and mobility going on. But in the part that I'm working with, with working um, even at the you know conference level, because I, I own and run a conference, that's a leadership level. Also with polyamorous groups incorporating, that's a whole nother level. We have some of the intentional communities, that's a whole nother level. And so we have those levels that are just more levels of the dominant culture, which is kind of like an opportunity hoarding that you have in a company. So if you think of a corporate company, you have the CEO up top. And then all the other leadership are folks of the same color, have the same needs and et cetera. It's very difficult to get a foot at the table because it's all blocked off. Okay. So I guess a few things, because I guess we're, it, we're, it's kind of almost two separate issues. I mean, do you, do you feel like there's an underrepresentation of people of color in the leadership in the poly community you know, you were talking about how kind of poly is a classist thing. There's a thing of are polyamorous people of color underrepresented in the community, period. Yeah, because, I mean, we have 5,000 strong and uh, black and poly. Uh, in my local area, we have a strong DFW black and poly group of 80 people. And I'm talking about strong, powerful work as a unit community. That representation, I'm, I guess to say, not equal, but separate because I would slap myself, but more like um, there's some of us that cross over between both communities. I guess I can say this. And so our numbers are increasing because the crowd is getting younger. And so we have like 25 and under, 
we have a lot more representation of folks of color. But overall, if you take it hugely, like over to all the DFW, the representation that operate within the main spaces are very few folks of color. So you feel like the the representation in the leadership in the poly community is not representative of the number of people of color who are actually in the poly community? Yes. Okay. What now I'm curious when you're I guess when you're saying leadership, I find leadership to be an interesting an interesting uh you know, it's it's kind of the same thing in the kink community. I mean, what do you kind of view as the role of leadership in the poly community? Like where this this representation's happening? There are a lot of folks that people turn to and and seek counsel and advice. And so we have various groups that have folks that are mainly the ones who who have created the groups, ones that run the Facebook groups, because a lot of our interaction is virtually in this area. And so I actually created a thread with 13 people who are the 13 leaders within the various groups that we have in the Dallas area. And it never really took off because the interests of certain groups did not line with the interests of many of the other groups. I guess it was different needs being met. For example, we have a Dallas polyamory group, which is very social justice oriented, very community oriented. And then we have another one, which is basically a hookup culture, right? You put naked pictures that's a little extreme, but you put pictures of yourself on there and you're seeking someone to go out with. And then we have another one, which is poly and dating. And they're actually looking for people not to hook up with, but to, to date and establish relationships. And so, and it's different than um, lifestyle groups. Right. So with those interests being different and those needs being different, we have a lot of special interest poly groups and there's leaders of each one of those, I guess is the best way to say it. Right. So I, the reason I'm asking, you know, we've, so we've been involved more so I, I would say in the King community in the kind of, you know, the leadership role in the King community. And, air quotes. Yeah, air quotes. Um, and, and I'm air quoting it for the exact same reasons, you know, about what I'm about to say about the poly community, which is, um, and you, you correct me if there's anything maybe about your local community that I'm missing here, but in all the communities I've been involved in with kink specifically and with poly, you know, it's not like there's an, an organized leadership. It's it's a gaggle basically of whoever decided to start something is kind of designated a leader. It's almost kind of a self-appointed thing to a certain extent, right? It's, I think I want to start a group. Okay, my group's got six people. Now I'm a leader. And, you know, there was actually even an attempt around here for a while to have kind of this meta, I don't, I don't even know if it's still going on, because it kind of dissolved because it was like, you know, like trying to herd 50 cats. Getting all the community leaders Yeah, together. getting them all together to try and, and it, it just dissolved into this whole thing because, you know, nobody's elected. Everybody's just kind of people who have stepped up to run their own things. And everybody's at cross purposes. I guess, I guess what I'm wondering is if you're feeling that the people of color are underrepresented, what what do you think is the solution to that in a situation where a leader is basically whoever stands up and says, hey, I'm, I'm starting a group. I'm a leader now. <laughs> um, the reason I'm laughing is it's very difficult to tell a community that is dominated by a certain ethnic group or race to ask the people who are not how to solve it. And I guess figured out how to solve it in that sense, because there is a level of attractiveness. And I've mentioned often within this conversation that it's about interests. You know, what is important to you in your daily life? And it also is, we talked about individual polyamorous relationships and when we as black folks go into groups that are predominantly white folks, it's really disheartening to see a thread about black people's hair 
and how that works and real it's it's very disheartening. And I don't want to I don't want to see that shit. In a poly group? Oh, baby. Uh, the poly yes, I'm telling you. I don't you spend this. any time on Facebook, so you're gonna have to <laughs> I'm gonna have to say, and I'm not meaning to be condescending, I'm a little bit from the South. We use non-consensual terms of endearment. Um, <laughs> so what I'm saying is on these particular groups where a lot of the social interaction happen in the virtual world, there is a lot of statements being made that that do not have a various tone. How is this person expressing it? Who is this person? And But it can quickly become something that is harmful where there's a huge blind spot to the people who are having a conversation as other folks who this conversation is about are watching. You know, they're witnessing this and it can it can push a lot of folks away. I've heard it. I've seen it. I've left. Within poly groups, there is racism, classism, it's sexism to the hilt, and so the isms do not stop because we're in a certain type of context, a certain type of dynamic. It pretty much stays the same with slight differences. I guess I'm surprised simply because of maybe the groups that I'm involved in. And I'm wondering if it's the smaller interest groups or, or, or such, because as a whole, it seems like most of the poly community that I'm a part of, and I do take part in groups and things like that, are pushing for there to be more equality amongst the people who are a part of those groups, almost to the, the point of like, even people are afraid to like disagree or to ask questions, you know. I know there's lots of folks who are like, how can I help this? But they're afraid to even ask that question because it's like, well, you won't understand, so stop asking. So I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised that that's the, the culture that you've seen in polygroups. I guess it's, it's a different perspective. And also there's like 5 million groups and I don't hang out in many because um, <laughs> I don't spend a lot of time on face group. But it seems like there is a lot of reach out to try to make equality in groups like that. Okay, so in the groups that you're within, you're saying that you don't see it, but you're not looking at it from my eyes as a Black woman. So it could possibly very much be there from my eyes as a Black woman. So it doesn't mean that it's not there because you may not see it. And a group that uses social justice as a weapon is just as damaging as any type of I'm going to lynch you on the street. That's just as damaging because then the conversations are not allowed to be had and people use privilege as a weapon. They use intersectionality as a weapon. So they take these very beautiful concepts and distort them and make them not even about what it's supposed to be about, especially with privilege and intersectionality. I don't even use those words anymore. As you can see, it's race, gender, and class. I mean, because if you don't talk about that and how that creates heterosexism and um, classism, ableism, all of, all of those conversations, then you're missing the point. And a lot of these groups don't even have those conversations because they are so, I'm not going to say that. Yes, I'm going to say it. Because there's a lot of immaturity in how to have their own understanding of self. Because you, you come into an environment that is a marginalized group, poly, polyamorous or a marginalized group. And so it's going to have to have social justice and how it operates as a marginalized group. And then you talk about more marginalized groups on top of that. So will the conversations be contentious? Yes. Can they be, I can state my opinion without cutting you off at the knees? Yes. Do I know what I'm talking about when I use the word privilege and intersectionality? No. 
So that's why that fear can come in and people jump on each other's back because they think someone else is intentionally harming when it's unintentional harm. And can we just offer them a level of education or can we suggest them some books to read or some websites to go to, you know, and those groups where I talked about the hair, that's what I did. I went back message to the admin and I said, this is unacceptable, but I didn't do it on the thread. And this is the reason why here are some resources and maybe you as a leader can go and say this on the thread. And that's how the solution comes. A lot of ways is those folks who are in leadership, who ha- who do have that influence, giving just plain old education or an opportunity to have education. And so when you say equality across the groups, it's not really equality, it's more equitable and accessible. And the way I did it, it allowed me to be accessible. But if I would have said it on that thread, I wouldn't have had enough equitable influence to reach all of the people on that thread. Now I'm speaking, yeah, on that thread right now. So I said a whole lot. No, that's, I mean, I I definitely, that last part definitely uh, is definitely sensible. I mean, as far as wanting to, wanting to have it come from the leader of that group, who's got more influence in that group. And uh, I, when, when you said the thing about, about hair and I was kind of incredulous earlier. It wasn't because I didn't believe that it happened. It's just kind of such an asinine thing to be talking about in a poly group in the first (laughs) place is actually, uh, yeah, is is actually my, uh, that that's just an interesting thing to even be bringing up in that, in that context. Yeah. And, and I do, um, appreciate you both as asking those questions because as leaders, people may hear this more because you're having the conversation with me and maybe their ears would be more open and receptive and it offers a lot more credibility because it's on your podcast and you're not shutting me down. You're not saying, oh, you're just overreacting and oversensitive. You actually have an ear and we're engaging in conversation. So I do want to say kudos to that. I appreciate it. I know. I think, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely an issue that needs to be addressed. I guess, I guess what I, you know, as, as while we're having this conversation, I, that's something that I would like, I'm curious kind of as far as maybe a couple of the things that you think that the poly community needs to do differently, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I agree that there's a lot of stuff in the poly community that is, is probably not fairly represented. And, you know, there's, there's kind of the vestiges of our everyday society that bleed into stuff from everywhere. But short of being like, you know, well, society as a whole have to ch- has to change, which is true, right? But it doesn't, it doesn't really get us anywhere. We're talking about what can we do in the poly community to promote that kind of equality to get it to where, um, you know, people of color don't feel ostracized in the community. They don't feel underrepresented. You know, they don't feel like the issues that are specific to them aren't being addressed or represented, or there isn't advice out there that's applicable to them. So, I mean, what, what are some steps that you think that the community as a whole could take in that direction? Well, it's going to be another philosophical conversation because that's what it is. And Martin Martin Luther King said, love that does justice. And when he was, and my firm belief, when he was stating that is we are a community of saying we have multiple loves and we have the opportunity to have romantic and not romantic relationships, you know, emotionally romantic, physically romantic, however we decide to create those relationships. 
And we do certain things within our relationships, like we have daily check-ins, you know, we do the exercise that y'all mentioned earlier. There's a lot of intention and care that is practiced to keep those relationships going and sustainable. And so my thoughts are we take that even bigger into our communities and we have the same introspection. We have the same check-ins. We have the same intention on how are we going to make this work better? So I guess what I'm saying is about the people. It's about the people within the communities saying that this is important and we want this community to last. We want polyamory to have more respect within the community. We want these myths debunked within the community. And how can we represent ourselves as a community so that we have self-pride and the world around us has self-pride. But first it starts within the individual, you know, to check their prejudices, check their biases. How am I perpetuating some of the mistreatment? How am I excluding wheelchair? I'm talking about people of color. So how am I excluding events that may be out of the way that people can't reach, you know, that you want it to be inclusive, but geographically there's not accessibility to it. How do we have that conscious thought of those blinders that are killing us and how are we creating it to be accessible and attractive? And that's another one. How can we make it attractive to people? Because the polyamory community is thriving within the Black and poly communities because there is a sense of, I know that was kind of redundant, but it's, it's because there is a sense of care. There's a sense of everyone belongs. There's a sense of all of that. And no one is excluded. Everyone is welcome. No one is excluded from the group, but do folks come over? When they see the word black and poly, they think that means not white. But when we go over and we see the words not black and poly, we still go in because we're thirsty, we're hungry, we want community, we want to just information and knowledge. It's actually an interesting Point. Are you encouraging non-people of color to come out to people of color specific poly events? Is that something you're saying you think would be good? There's not people of color specific poly events. There's people of color who put on events and they invite their community. But there's not any excluded groups, just like when folks in a dominant culture put on their events. I'm thinking that they are hoping to be inclusive because my ass shows up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, I guess it's, and, and so we might not be talking about the same thing. I'm thinking of our kink community around here. There's, there's a group that is, um, I don't want to call anything out on here, but th- there's a group that is, is kink and it's specifically for people of color and definitely the kind of impression that I've gotten in the past from their material and their events and talking to people is that the events that they put on are specifically for people of color. To provide them with a space to be able to talk about issues and feel there that they have like a sacred space that is that is theirs. Yeah, that's theirs. Yeah. Well, Baltimore is a different monster. (laughs) (laughs) Baltimore is very hot when it comes to the King community and I, that's why I like going there. It's very exciting. That's what I say. We, so we may be talking about two different things. When you're talking about poly things for people of color, that, that's kind of what I'm, that's kind of where I'm going with that because that's been my experience. Yeah, because there's also even like a poly group that is, is, is very similar and it's more to give, you know, a, a, a space for people of color. So I think something that would be helpful for our listeners is if you are interested in enjoying something, that's a good thing. 
but it'd probably be good to like check and see just because I don't want anyone intruding on anyone's spaces that wasn't intended for them. Absolutely. You said that perfectly. So if you're talking about spaces like that, where there we don't want them colonized and we want to be able to have a free space and et cetera. Absolutely. I do believe in honoring um, in that way. And usually down here, we say kind of like I went to Sex Down South this weekend and they had women of color only because they were doing some types of um, rituals. So they had women of color only and it was explicit and people honored and respected that information and that workshop. Sex Down South, y- y'all know what that is? Uh, yeah, I've heard of it. Okay. And so it was very explicit. Now, like Poly Dallas, it's an event that centers persons of color. Man, I couldn't tell you how many years, two years for me to let people know you can come even though you know, you're not white. I mean, you're not a person of color. It's just saying we focus on um, particular issues and we don't do race 101 and we don't do race 201. We'd have some very complex conversations that you may get a lot out of. You know, you may have more knowledge than you think you have, you know, but we don't have conversations about defining concepts And that's an event that is centered for folks of color, but everyone is welcome. I guess so that's the difference that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think that's the thing. I think that we were talking about two different, two different things when we were because I yeah, I kind of I was like, I'm I'm pretty sure that like some of these groups are specifically not, you know, like they're they're intended as spaces for specific groups of individuals and they're not trying to get other people to come into those. So yeah, and it's no different than like we've gone to events where there is like a um, submissive class and a yeah, like you know I'll take it take it outside of race for a second and, and talk about you know where it's like you know no domly people are allowed in this class. This is sacred just for us submissive folk. I wouldn't understand that because that's not my thing. But the submissive part, not the having a space <laughs> part, but having those sacred spaces for your particular interest and being able to connect with like minds and people who are like you. One of the things that you had mentioned is some of the myths. And I'm curious as to what some of the myths are for, you know, that are that are causing problems for people of color in the community. Well, this is the perspective. Now, this is me taking the articles that I write and reading the comments, right? And so the spaces that I'm in, these these myths are not really there to be argued or debunked. Some of them are, there's a, a lot more one dick policy in the African-American community or the people of color. Also that there's no black people who are polyamorous. That's the biggest one. Or polyamory is a white person's thing. The second, another one is that people view people who are black and polyamorous because they see it as a rare thing, kind of like a unicorn as they're trying to be white. And so it's a lot about embracing of blackness are a lot of the myths that are said by certain people and also believed within certain communities. Now there's the usual ones that go along with it that are coupled, you know, and doubled down with it. But those are the ones that I hear personally. So you may have more over the times you've heard them, but those are the ones that I hear. One one thing that I'm kind of curious about, and this may, this kind of plays into the myths. I've, I've heard, you know, in having discussions with people of color that um, it is like within the community of, of being a person of color that the non-monogamy is practiced a decent amount, but that it is not as acceptable, I suppose. And that, you know, that that may be one reason that you don't see as many, as much representation of people of color in the community. I'm curious, like, do you find that that's the case? Like, do you find that it is like, as a person of color, there's an additional stigma with being non-monogamous from like within your own community? Like to where that's not viewed as acceptable? Well, I don't have that experience in practice or 
Now, I do have experience of folks not coming out to their church community or not coming out Mm. to mama and daddy, but all the friends know, or having just a, a casual, like, if you see it, you see it. But it's not anything, I guess, that's like, let's wave your polyamory flag. I mean, it's not necessarily looking like that. And there is stigma about polyamory, but I would say that it's in a different context than there's a book called, it's called Polyamory by Tamara Pincus. <laughs> Our son's actually in that book. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yes. He's one of the stories in that book. I Under an alias. Yeah. Under an alias. That book is fucking awesome. It is awesome. And it's the it's one of the ones that I'm just going to recommend that there's such good history. What you know, Tamara's partner is very fluent in a certain history. And so I love that book. I love that book. We have it sitting. We have it sitting at our table. Um, yeah, our, our son's in there. Our son has one story in there, and Cassie actually has one story in there as well. Oh, really? So, but um, yeah, she um, uh, she she uh, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I cut you off. What were you saying about the book, though? You were talking about stigma and the book, and I got distracted by the book. It offers great history on some of the stigmas on different cultural. I I just love how she talked about, and and she blended it together so well about how the different cultures do disclosure. I mean, I saw it, I read it, people who I know read it and they loved it. And I don't know if y'all realize, but it does an excellent job about disclosure in that book. Okay. I see. I'm, I'm actually not sure. So I've only read a couple parts of it. So I'm actually not familiar with what you're talking about. More or less how like different upbringings and things like that kind of show how you are able to be open about your relationships and things like that, that there's a lot that plays into that in, in like kind of like a more layman's terms, like how, how our cultures and our past lead into how we are able to express our different relationships and parts of ourselves. I couldn't have said it better. We'd wanted to talk a little bit about some common challenges that interracial poly groups, poly couples and groups face when they're navigating their relationships together. Well, I'm in an interracial relationship and some of the, I'm just going to share because I think this is important that I share some of my struggles because I don't really share about me a lot. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. We love personal okay. stories. I think, I think it's helpful to put an actual, like, here's what can happen kind of on top of the, you know, cause it's, it's, it's easy to hear, well, you know, there's, there's problems in society as a whole and there's problems in the poly community as a whole. But I think that actually putting what happens as a face on it is actually really helpful, you know, to getting across why it's important and what needs to change and why that's important. So please story away. Okay. Do we have 10 minutes? We do have 10 minutes. Absolutely. Okay. And the reason being, if you wanted a personal story, I could have used my personal story for this entire show. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But five years ago, I, I married my spouse, my partner, and they are 14 years younger than me. They are white. They're a software engineer. Their family is kind of like granola. Me, (laughs) I am um, 14 years older. My family is Southern Baptist. His family is atheist. And there is just a lot of differences going in. So when we merged together, (laughs) it was absolutely fantastic. We were married in four months and we were clueless on how society would impact our relationship. So some of the things that happened are that I'm very, very big in the um, social justice community around Black communities being inclusive, having a voice, etc. I'm very, very pro-Black, right? And so with me married to a white man, people are like, how the 
fuck did what are you doing? I mean, and people would say it with confidence and overtly on threads and how can you marry that that white man? And I'm a member of some uh, Black Panther groups and you can imagine that. And so going through that and navigating my own personal community and then Chase lost like five of his best friends when he married me. And there were his uh, jeeping, you know, I think they did, what is it, what is it called? With the jeep and you go ride in the dirt. <laughs> okay. off Yes, that. <laughs> is that off-roading? Okay. Or mud. Okay. <laughs> and so there was a loss with friends in that way. So what I can say is that in the first year, we had a whole lot of losses. And now with those losses also comes that I came out as polyamorous and I did it fully. My mom was in denial about it. She still thinks that she doesn't know, even though she's volunteered at my event, she doesn't want to know here from my mouth. But I came out as polyamorous and I heard a lot from my family. This is nasty. How can you do that? And so there was a viewpoint on my marriage. Now, within the polyamorous community, people called me a predator because he's 14 years younger. I was called like I'm um, a gold digger, a Black Panther. I hate that. There was a whole lot of derogatory information. Now, this was actually in groups. I have screenshots. <laughs> and so this was wow. the reason I have screenshots is that I cut it out and I use it as examples in some of my presentations. And I redact a whole a lot of the. And they, they put it in Facebook groups. So, I mean, that's, yeah. you know, you, you put it out there. It's on yeah. you. And so there was, I mean. <laughs> Don't be a bigot online. It's not and that hard. A lot of the groups, I'm the oldest person. So that's when I say with there's ageism on both sides with that. And for Chase, he's very introverted and he's very political. He talks very heady and he didn't feel comfortable in those groups because some of the issues that he was having he couldn't really talk about, he didn't have the language or the ability. So th after the first year, we had a whole lot of isolation and we isolated. And then for that second year and also all those shootings came, you know what I'm talking about within the nation was in, and it was a horrible, horrible year. 2016 right. was, was horrible. And Oh, it was, that was actually our third year. And so all of that trickled into our relationship. I would come home tense, angry, mad. And now imagine me coming home and looking at my husband. Man, that was really, really difficult. And him not understanding why I'm angry at him. He's like, I'm not one of those people. And I'm like, you're racist. <laughs> it was, it was really difficult. And then from that point, our relationship became very political. There was a whole lot of political about around it. And we are actually divorcing now. Now I'm telling this, this story, not to say all relationships will end like this, but it, it got to a point to where some stuff that I couldn't take um, that was being said and done, my personal integrity and my personal beliefs wouldn't allow me to stay in a certain kind of marriage. Now we're going to stay partners and like, you know, all of our finances are entangled. So we're not, it's not like a hate. Our relationship is transitioning, but there is a lot that happens. I think within interracial relationships. And I see it when it comes into my office. Um, I see it when I'm within groups, when there's a cultural clash, it's, it takes a whole lot. 
and a whole lot of openness for people to admit that there's biases and, and blind spots. And that's the hard thing that my husband had. He couldn't accept it. And also dealing with uh, society, I would we would walk out to down where his parents live. We would walk to a, a restaurant and people would yell nigger as they're going by. People would call him a, a nigger lover. We live in a very expensive neighborhood. And one time me and him were walking down the street and one of the neighbors like was driving by, turned around, drove up to where we were and asked him if he's okay. And so that's the kind of stuff that happens within society now with us bringing in other people within our relationship that hasn't been as much of an issue because my public presence, a lot of the women that I date are in other places, other cities. And so for him, they were in another country. (laughs) And so there's not any close proximity for that. So. Does that give you an idea? No, it does. I, I I really appreciate you sharing that. I'm sure it was not easy to share. Yeah, thank um, you for sharing. Could you, I guess, before we, we kind of start, start wrapping up here, could you recommend any places that other, you know, that people of color resources where they can go to find uh, people of like minds? The Black and Poly group, um, the large one, just Google Black and Poly on Facebook. There's blackandpoly.org, which is a website and also a newsletter. There's Black and Poly Dating, no, Black Poly and Dating. There's some lifestyle groups, but they're not poly. Of course, I recommend Love's Not Colorblind, and it's called Polyamory. And I recommend Attached. That's a book that's not necessarily explicitly poly in its title, but it talks about attachments, which we all know about in the poly world. Yes. All right. So are we good for our speed round? I think we're at about that time. Do you have anything else that you you want to throw in the ring before we, we That wrap was up? a heavy way of ending. That's what I could say. It was, definitely. it was, but I think that it's, you know, I think that it's, uh, I think it's a good yeah. way now. All right. So with our speed round, the idea is to answer the questions as fast okay. as you can. No one ever wins. So it's okay. okay. It's supposed to be like 10 questions in 60 seconds. It never happens. But so, um, what is something you're not very good at? Apologizing. The best piece of relationship advice you've ever received. Have a lot of sex. what are three things you couldn't live without sex chocolate and french fries what turns you on everything tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on (laughs) i'm sorry i started laughing on that one (laughs) you say polly okay (laughs) a book you would recommend for our listeners you kind of gave us a list already but just throw one out Attached. Okay. What's your biggest fear? Dying alone. What's the most adventurous thing you've ever done? It could be sexual or it could not be. Having sex on a mountain. Nice. Who's your favorite movie? <laughs> that's a woman after your own heart. <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, no. That's awesome. Who is your movie slash TV star crush? Oh, my God. Angelina Jolie. Mm. Oh, my God. Mine, too. Okay. <laughs> What's something you're working on right now that you want our listeners to know about? Oh, this is, I'm going to give you a personal one. I'm getting another mentor for my next stage in being a femdom. Awesome. Okay. And where can folks find you online? Where can our listeners find you? Twitter is at Black Sex Geek and at Polly Dallas. Instagram at Black Sex Geek. You can go to my website, blacksexgeek.net. And I have Facebook pages and all the things. Okay, and we'll put we'll put those in the uh, 
the show notes as well. You know, I when you said Angelina Jolie, I thought Cassie was going to hop out of her chair. I years ago <laughs> as a as a present for her got made her a copy of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Oh, nice. With like, yeah, like Angelina Jolie's ass circled on there for her. So, oh, God. well, I was just like, when we were going through the questions, I'm like, I feel like you and I at some point need to get a drink. Like between talking about having sex on mountains, see, I'm, I'm a very big expeditionist oh, and yeah. liking cool. Angelina Jolie. I feel like we could have some really awesome conversations. <laughs> Anytime she wears a skirt with a split, I think I'm going to just my panties are so wet. Uh, I want to. I want to thank you. <laughs> I want to. I want to thank you for that mental image, and also I want to thank you for uh, for coming on and and talking about a, a difficult but a, you know an important topic with us. So we appreciate oh you taking God. the time. That was awesome. Yeah. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask, or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1.